Fishing for a show aimed at the outdoor enthusiast? Tune in to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World, Saturday at 10 a.m. and 5 p.m. Eastern on Rural Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 147, and on the Sirius XM app. Welcome in to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World, brought to you by Bass Pro Shops. If you love fishing, hunting, and the great outdoors and want to make it even better, you're in the right place with host Rob Keck. Your adventure starts right here. Good morning and welcome, and thanks for tuning in to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World, brought to you by Bass Pro Shops, where truly your adventure starts right here. I'm Rob Keck, your host, and I hope you're having a wonderful day. Maybe spending time, quality time outdoors with family or friends or hunting or fishing buddies or maybe introducing someone new to the great outdoors. I know for some of you in the deep south, uh, the jigs and the minnows, they're putting limits of crappies in the boat. Or do you guys in the far north, I know you're still pulling them through the ice. And what a meal those slabs make. Mm. But, you know, I want to ask you, did you ever wonder what would happen if hunting and fishing were to end, I mean, heaven forbid. Well, I can tell you from the Keck House, it would end about 80% of the meals that we get from wild game and fish. So how many pounds of meat do you get on an average from, from that deer you took this past fall, an elk or an antelope? How many pounds come from a limit of mallards or wild turkey or a limit of quail? How many healthy meals can you get from a day spent fishing for crappies or trout, bass or salmon? Or how much food is shared with your family and friends or, or maybe with others that don't hunt or fish? Well, each year in the United States and Canada, nearly 45 million people engage in the legal harvest and the consumption of fish and wildlife taken through hunting and fishing. Our guest today, Shane Mahoney, is the president and the CEO of Conservation Visions Incorporated. And he believes the recreational harvest of fish and wildlife in North America to be one of the most sustainable, healthy, and environmentally friendly food procurement systems that's in existence today. You know, unfortunately, though, we really don't know its real economic, social, or ecological value. And Shane's Wild Harvest Initiative is changing this. It's providing the first comprehensive assessment of recreational wildlife harvest in the United States and Canada. It's providing a new valuation for wildlife as a real component of our nation's food security. Well, Shane Mahoney's been with us before on the show. He's a native of Newfoundland, has over 30 years of experience working primarily as a scientist, a wildlife manager, a policy innovator, and strategic advisor. But he's also an award-winning filmmaker, writer, narrator, TV, and radio personality. He's also a lecturer and all this within the scope of the greater conservation world. Well, Shane's been a vocal proponent of sustainable use and is a recognized expert on the North American model of wildlife conservation. He's a strong believer in the benefits of communicating about conservation to the general public. So there's so much to share about this true visionary and leader in our natural world. Please welcome our trusted colleague and good friend, Shane Mahoney. Shane Welcome back. Thanks for joining us here. Thank you, Rob, very much. It's always oh, great man. to be with you. Yeah, it's always great to be with you. Uh, I mean, the respect that you have throughout the wildlife community, uh, whether it's with the NGOs, the state and federal wildlife resource agencies, uh, and internationally. I mean, uh, there's no one that has the stroke that you have. When you speak, people listen. And when they listen, they begin to act and uh, I know that uh, a lot of th- good things happening out there. Why don't you share? Uh, give us an update. The Wild Harvest Initiative continues to make waves in the, the hunting community and beyond. Uh, what can you tell us about how that program's progressing? Well, it's come a long way, Rob, from you know the idea that was just a, sort of a notion uh, three, four, five years ago. We now have... Uh, assembled the, all of the harvest information for fish and wildlife in Canada and the United States. Every Which was province, huge. Every state, absolutely. Huge. Nobody else had done that before. Had Never. They? And uh, I can tell you, uh, given that most of us who are working on it are now uh, slightly insane, <laughs> I, can, <coughs> I can understand why nobody did it before. Uh, but uh, we now have uh, the largest uh, database for the temperate world, for non-tropical regions, we have the largest database in the temperate world compiled. 
And what the uh, preliminary results show, and we're going to be talking more about this through the show, but, you know, the scale of harvest, just of wildlife, leaving fish out of it for the moment, but just of wildlife, birds and mammals, <clears throat> we're talking the provisioning of billions of meals, literally, billions of meals for people in Canada and the United States on an annual basis. Mm. Mm. This, this idea of, of recreational hunting as, you know, kind of just a... I don't know, a nice little hobby or something of this nature. I mean, it's true we do it for many different reasons, but the food provisioning part of hunting in Canada and the United States is still a really significant activity. And, of course, as you know, we've been attracting a lot of high-profile partners, not only Bass Pro itself, of course, which has been a strong and continuing partner in this. Uh, we just have a new partnership with Cabela's. We have the state of Alaska joining us now, which will mean we will have five state governments involved, as well as uh, philanthropists and NGOs and so forth. And it is now moving into the international sphere. And, of course, we're also looking at the whole question, Rob, within that context of, for the first time also, the idea of the sharing. You know, how much of the food does the average hunter, man or woman, share? So, mm -hmm. you know, we have, let's say, fishing and hunting. We have about 40 million people in Canada and the United States who under do that every year. But we estimate now that probably somewhere around 200 to 240 million people actually consume the harvest wow. by those people. Wow, that, that's powerful. It's amazing, Rob, because, you know, I don't have to tell you, you know, uh, conservation is... It's to a large extent a political enterprise. You have to convince people to make the right decisions, to bring in the right policies, the right laws, and so on and so forth. <clears throat> and when you're talking 40 million people, it's one thing. But if you're talking you know, something that might impact 240 million people, yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a different story. Huh? Well, we know that uh, you know, today, you know, the good science that brought us to the golden age of hunting, of fishing, and wildlife, you know, it's being trumped by politics. The yeah. politics of wildlife management are huge, and to, are. to to meet that challenge, uh, I mean, your approach here, I think, is is giving us some real hope that maybe we can get beyond some of those political challenges that that we face. It's a really good point. Um, you know, I said at the opening of Wonders of Wildlife when 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 that phenomenal evening and day took place. You know, that we had to bring the, the, the sort of standards of conservation to politics, not the standards of politics to conservation, yes. right? And more and more, we see the latter happening, unfortunately, and it's very concerning, globally as well as in the United States, in oh, Canada, for sure. everywhere. For sure. Know? And in individual states and provinces. And it's, it's not good for wildlife, and it's not good for our cultural traditions either. Yeah, well, you know, I also see it, uh, you know, here, especially in the state level, you know, the attacks on the Second Amendment of, you know, continuing to restrict, you know, the use of guns. And we know that, uh, you know, the Pittman-Robertson, the excise tax that's generated, that is apportioned back to those state fish and wildlife agencies. Some agencies, for some, 80% uh, of their annual budget comes from that. It does. Well, if you start restricting then gun sales and related hunting equipment to that, you're also then restricting conservation dollars that go to those state fish and wildlife agencies, which means they've got less ability to, to do the good science, the good management that has continued to bring along these healthy wildlife populations. It's absolutely true. And what, you know, what people often don't understand as well is you know, those agencies do same, so many different things, including things such as investigate wildlife diseases and things of this nature, which matter to everybody in the outdoors. Yeah. Right? I mean, there's a... The application of their work is not just for hunters and anglers or just bird watchers or, just, it's, or canoeists. I mean, it's, it, it affects everybody. And it's a, it's a really important point. I mean, we're seeing certain worrisome trends and declines in participation anyway. And then the idea that we suffer any further loss in our ability to raise money for conservation is really frightening and, and frustrating because if, 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 if one is going to provide... Uh, a criticism that sort of undermines this process that we have that has worked so well, they must at least give us an alternative. Yeah, for sure. Well, look, that's going to take us here to our first break. You're listening to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World, and we will be right back. We all have it, whether it was passed down from our fathers or grandfathers. 
we knew it was there, inside us. That need, that longing to walk among the wild. But it's more than just our love of the outdoors that keeps us coming back. It's knowing we serve a purpose, to give more than we take. That we're here to carry on a legacy and become stewards of our wildlife. This place embodies that legacy with over a mile and a half of walkable trails and 35,000 live fish, mammals, reptiles, amphibians, and birds to teach and inspire. Stop and you'll feel it. Listen and you'll hear it. Asking you to share the wonder. The Wonders of Wildlife National Museum and Aquarium. Share the wonder. Back to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World on Rural Radio, Sirius XM. And welcome back to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. And uh, I can tell you we're having just a, a very deep discussion and an important discussion uh, with the president of Conservation Visions, the founder of the Wild Harvest Initiative, Shane Mahoney. Shane, you mentioned that one of the program goals of, of the Wild Harvest Initiative is to establish a fully inclusive wild harvest community mm-hmm. can you expand on that just a little bit uh, give us give us more on that i, I don't yeah. i'm not sure i understand that well a lot of people when they <clears throat> when they hear about the the program of course and you know we've got 35 partners with um involved in this now you know naturally they think of uh hunting and angling obviously as key components but you know sometimes we forget just how many people uh, are engaged in other activities that involve harvests from nature. Uh, people who harvest medicinal plants and companies that harvest medicinal plants. Uh, the harvest, obviously, of uh, wild mushrooms, which is, as you know, a big business in, in, in many, ca- in many mm-hmm. places. Uh, the harvest of firewood, the harvest of wild berries and wild fruits, the harvest of wild rices. Um, you know, all of these things are a touchstone to our past, just as hunting and angling are. And all of the people who undertake those activities realize certain basic principles that, you know, you have to have a healthy environment in order to be able to harvest those things. Uh, it's a sign of the freedoms uh, we have and we share that as people we can engage in the outdoors and harvest these wild resources in that way. Um, it's being extended to other things now, such as shed antlers even are becoming a big harvest, uh, from, a natural sure. harvest. Oh, from yeah. That, right? Uh, absolutely. Their uh, websites so just on how to How, how to do it them. and where yeah. to find them. Yeah. And, and so my point uh, for many years, of course, has been that, you know, to be strong, we need to be building coalitions. And I think it is very easy to build coalitions with people who are also outdoor minded and who are also seeing that they are harvesting from nature. And as they harvest from nature, they see a man maybe coming out with a wild turkey and there they're harvesting their wild mushrooms or loading the back of their truck with firewood that they've gathered. And, you know, there is a much easier road to dialogue between those people than people who come from very, very, very different worldviews. And I believe, you know, if we look at that community, we have a chance to talk about things in common like preserving wildlife habitat preserving healthy ecosystems, preserving those things that all of us depend on. And I would like to see the Wild Harvest Initiative not only build the databases that we can use to to support our arguments, but to also build events that will bring all of those people together. Wow, what a community. And, uh, you know, explaining what that group looks like and why it's important. Uh, you know, I think it's beyond any of the thinking that's uh, gone thus far uh, yeah, into the future good. of conservation, and you, yeah. you've done a tremendous job there. Well, then, but just think it, of yourself, Rob. I mean, you you you're a hunter, you're an angler, but but you love you, you love, to, I'm sure, to harvest berries and you know and wild mushrooms. You love, and I mean, we that's, yeah, we're, we're we're all part of this, and it's you know we're really talking about a lifestyle, Rob, mm-hmm. a choice of lifestyle. It is it, right. I mean, it that's, is that's what it we're is. talking about. It is, and a really damn good one. <laughs> And, you know, it's so unfortunate we've become a more urbanized society that people have lost touch with the ground. They don't know how to put their fingers in the dirt to make things grow. They don't know where things come from. I mean, I I continue to fall back. It was a a letter to the editor, I think, from the San Francisco Examiner that uh, lady said, shame on you hunters. If you want meat, 
you need to go to the grocery store and buy unkilled meat. <laughs> That's how out of touch we've got today with many people. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, uh, it's huge. Yeah. Well, what steps then are you, are you taking to build this community? Talk, talk to us about that. Well, I mean, we have a, we have a, a really strong program of outreach, uh, and we've been developing it in a series of phases with regard to this, uh, to this effort. Uh, we have been releasing, developing and releasing a lot of vignettes, of course, uh, small short videos that are talking about these issues. We're about to release a standalone website, uh, very beautifully prepared by a marketing company that's working with us, giving us advice also on how to bring the information out because of the scale of it and the importance of it. <clears throat> and on that website, there's going to be a, a place where uh, people will, there'll be a blog space there for people to come forward with wild food and wild ideas. The whole thematic, uh, new thematic line for this uh, initiative is going to be uh, eat wild and live free. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's really talking about the touchstone this way for people who can be uh, involved in the outdoors and harvesting things in diverse ways. And we also, of course, now are going to be working with our 35 partners, including Bass Pro, obviously, with its tremendous reach yeah. through many, many channels, uh, to actually reach out to the diverse audience that actually are the, the customers of, of, of Bass Pro. I mean, you have people in coming to Bass Pro that, yeah, so, some come to buy a hunting license, but some just come to buy the, the bathroom accessories that have beautiful images of wildlife. Sure. On them, right? I mean, it's, it's a destination. It is. For many. And uh, we found that... Uh, you know, families that come there spend an average of three and a half hours in there. They go, they go to see the aquarium. Of course. Uh, I mean, there's wildlife scenes that are depicted there that uh, in those dioramas that tell stories. It's amazing. And, and uh, yeah. you know, it, it, it's so important. And, you know, I, I think back on, you know, what that group looks like, you know, when you go beyond just hunters and anglers. And I, you know, I, I continue to think, you know, when you mentioned, uh, you know, mushroom foragers, Boy, I'll tell you what, during spring gobbler season, if you're in the Northeast, if you're in Missouri or the Midwest, even out to Colorado, man, looking for morel mushrooms is a big deal. It is. You know, like in Missouri, you know, you hunt a half day for, for the for the for the gobbler yeah but the other half the day you're spending out there just trying to find morels and you know what people become protective of them oh yeah they, they don't want to share the location where they found them oh. i mean there's even been you know fights family <laughs> feuds over you know mushroom you're invading fights. my my mushroom patch <laughs> and uh you know I, I think that this this is so so important uh, yeah. that we look beyond that and you know i look at this time of year you know where I live. I mean, there's a lot of homes that are still heated with firewood. Of course, and are. I look at the people out there that are gathering. You know, firewood that uh, maybe is left behind from a logging operation. Absolutely. And uh, man, this uh, it's good. And then they they also gather that wood to to create artistic things. Yeah. To do carving. I mean, this is all part of wild harvesting, isn't it? It it really is. And I I just uh, you know I applaud you for for leading this effort and putting it together. and uh, Thank you, Rob. That's, that's going to take us here to our, our next break. So, folks, you're, you're listening to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World, and we will be back. We are the young minds that will shape tomorrow's world. But today, the world is in your hands. What's your vision for the future? Since 1937, Ducks Unlimited has been the world leader in wetlands and waterfowl conservation. And we've had the same vision for the future for more than 75 years. A future with clean water, abundant wildlife, plenty of places to enjoy nature, and wetlands, sufficient to fill the skies with waterfowl today, tomorrow, and forever. Sure, there's still a whole lot of work to be done, but we know we can turn things around together because we are the next generation of DU conservationists. And with a little help from you, our future is looking really bright. Ducks Unlimited, working for conservation for generations to come. A public service from Ducks Unlimited. Back to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World on Rural Radio, Sirius XM. And welcome back to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. And, uh, you know, I'm sitting here with uh, one of the greatest thought uh, providers, the thought inspirers of, of our time. 
especially as we look into the world of, of conservation, but it, it goes so far beyond that. And, you know, Shane Mahoney is the president of Conservation Visions, the founder of the Wild Harvest Initiative. We've been talking about uh, uh, this community, this uh, wild harvest community, and how broad uh, it really is beyond just hunting and angling. And Shane, you were talking about the steps on building that community. I don't know if you you want to share anything more there. It's, you know, it's great information, but uh, you know, just to let our listeners know the the contact information that's available on contact on Conservation Visions uh, at your website. Tell us about that, and uh, you know, a little bit more on the communication strategy because. We've got so many people that have no idea what, what's happening here and then maybe what we should expect to see from the initiative as we look into 2020. Well, as I said, the, the, there is a website currently. It's a web page on the uh, Conservation Visions website. But we will release uh, in the third week of this month. So the, by the end of January, we will be releasing a standalone website on the Wild Harvest Initiative. This will have the history and the background, the process by which we gathered the information. It will also present the results, not all of the results, but some of the results uh, from uh, uh, from our surveys and from our efforts and our statistical analyses and so forth. We're going to start to develop species information sheets. So on that website, people will be able to go and find, okay, well, I wonder how much food, how much meat is actually harvested, say, by white-tailed deer hunters in the United States and Canada. And this will be presented not just that it will be available at a state level, but it will also be presented at a continental level or certainly for both countries at the same time. In addition to that, every one of those species-specific sheets is going to identify the health of those populations so that immediately the public can say, oh, that's a lot of animals being harvested, but it's only a small percentage and it's a sustainable percentage of the existing population of wild animals is out there to reinforce the idea that the North American model system is a sustainable system that we've been working with for a hundred years. Which is found nowhere else in the world. Not as the way we do it. No, there are different models in other places in the world, but we can truly say we have one of the most successful, long-standing approaches to the conservation of wildlife in the world. Mm -hmm. And many people are starting to take an interest in it now. Yeah. Well, what, what do you expect to see? I mean, you know, looking into your crystal ball, I mean, nobody knows what the future will bring. You know, the kind of support, it, it, it appears it's continuing to, it to grow, the number of <clears throat> people is. that wanting to be part of this thing. Uh, I don't even want to call it a thing, this, this very important initiative. Uh, give us a little bit more in, in, into that vision. I mean, you're, you're, you're the visionary of our time. And, uh, uh, you know, I've, you and I met long before Conservation Visions was officially well, we created, found, you know, before the Wild <laughs> Harvest Initiative and, yeah. you know, your research in Newfoundland and Labrador and Caribou. Uh, but, you know, take us, take us further. Well, I mean, I see, Rob, uh, you know, the world is changing rapidly. The world has always changed. I mean, it's not new that the world is changing, but the world is changing in many different directions. And some of those directions are really moving people away from the way of life that we believe in, which is a way of life that includes, amongst many other things, spending time in nature, harvesting wild food, um, and giving portions of our lives to the conservation of wildlife. <clears throat> and uh, we know the many, many different trends that have been uh, taking place in society with respect to these activities. You know, in the last 20 years, we've seen significant reductions in waterfowl hunters, in small game hunters. Uh, more than 50% of all the hunters we have now in the United States are over 47 years of age. You know, we've lost a lot of hunters over the years. So we have both changing attitudes in society and a decline in participation rates in some of the activities. And I believe that we have to find a way to confront those things and the only way I see to do that is by working with trends that exist in society. So the trends in society, urbanization and things of this nature that have worked against us, they're very difficult to turn around, Rob. You and I are not going to be able to stop the movement of people to cities. But we can look at something like another movement, like the food movement, which is huge 
in our societies today. Everybody wants to live forever. They all want to be, you know, they're going to eventually die of nothing. You know what I mean? Uh, and everybody wants this really healthy food and nutrition or where their food comes from and so on. As hunters and anglers, we didn't create that movement. But that movement is out there. And I say, why spend all of our time sort of you know, pushing against the trends in society that maybe we cannot change? And why not spend our time working with the trends in society that we can build upon? So that's one of the things. I mean, I believe that we can convince increasing numbers of people that harvesting from nature in a sustainable way and taking responsibility for that harvest can, in fact, become part of their lifestyle. Or alternatively, and this is the reason for doing this shearing index survey where we're asking hunters in every state and province who they share their meat with and how many people and what meat they share. The alternative for people who may not be prepared to harvest animals themselves, for example, who still might harvest the mushrooms we talked about earlier and so on, they need to find in their community the people who do. Because one of the most beautiful things about the hunting world is this desire to share. And I think everyone in society admires people who care for others through, you know, Hunters for the Hungry programs or share with their neighbors, you know, these harvests. And I think part of our debate in society is to show that hunters are compassionate, good human beings. And I think we have the evidence for that. Yeah, I think we do too. And I think a great example of that is what Johnny Morris did with the uh, Hurricane Dorian recovery efforts over yeah. there, yeah. you know, where Johnny went to the anglers of this country, yeah. you know, that uh, many of them have enjoyed deep sea fishing or offshore yeah. fishing, and many of them, you know, just coming through our stores that contributed uh, to the Anglers for the Bahamas Relief Fund, yes. raised over $5 million to go for hurricane relief, you know, putting a white hat uh, on these outdoors persons, and then going beyond that, uh, putting together uh, a Christmas for the over 20,000 children uh, in the Bahamas that probably weren't going to have any kind of a, of a Christmas as we might know it. And uh, It's pretty amazing. Yeah, it, it really yeah. is. Yeah. I mean, in four days of kids being in, involved in all kinds of outdoor activities and topped off with fireworks and excitement and gifts. But it was all done by a conservation leader, Johnny Morris. Yeah, no, it's, it's and, just one other brilliant example of what we're talking about. Yeah. Right? Giving back. Giving back. Well, we've got to stop right now for uh, our next break, but uh, we've got a lot more to talk about. And you're listening uh, to Shane Mahoney and Rob Keck right here on Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. And we will be right back. Sirius XM's Rural Radio is your guide to the agricultural markets. Where expert analysts and traders join our discussion live. Your information. Open up the farm and the challenges we face. You can learn how to do it for yourself. Rural Radio, your gateway to the rural lifestyle. The latest information about hunting, fishing, and more. Rural Radio is the leader in Western sports. We talk about the latest in Western sports. Professional rodeo, bull riding. Sirius XM's Rural Radio. 147. Or listen on your phone when you get out of your car with the Sirius XM app. Hey everybody, I'm Easton Corbin, and I grew up in the smallest county in the state of Florida, and that's a long ways from Nashville, let alone elk country. But I've been hunting all my life, and I've always dreamed of chasing elk. When I came out west and heard my first bugle, I was hooked. I just had to roll with it. Now I want to make sure that dream will be here for tomorrow's hunters. If you feel the same way, make a difference and join the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation by going to www.rmef.org. Back to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World on Rural Radio, Sirius XM. And welcome back to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. And uh, we're just having a, a really deep and great, wonderful discussion here with Shane Mahoney, the president of Conservation Visions, the founder of the Wild Harvest Initiative. And, uh, you know, we're talking about giving back, putting back or putting white hats on what hunters and anglers uh, do for humanity. Shane, anyone that knows you uh, at all is likely to have some familiarity with uh, your international work. How does the Wild Harvest Initiative fit uh, in terms of international wildlife conservation and, and your work beyond what's happening here in North America? That's a really good question, <clears throat> and it's, um, 
It's it's a, a very interesting outcome of this effort, which I didn't anticipate, was that it was going to give me an opportunity to bring the North American model to the world in a very effective and efficient way. Um, currently, globally, many international organizations are very concerned about unregulated harvests of wildlife, because in many parts of the world, very dense numbers of human beings still rely directly on the, you know, the harvesting of wild things to feed themselves, literally, their yeah. pure subsistence. But while we have to support people who, can, uh, who need food uh, to hunt, or to hunt for food, we also have to recognize that that has to be sustainable, or in the end, both the wildlife and the people suffer. So international organizations like the Federation of Agricultural Organizations and various conventions like the Convention on Biodiversity and so on are working very hard to find examples around the world of sustainable processes that lead to the procurement of wild meat. Now, they started out doing that in tropical and subtropical areas. And my argument to them was, well, there are many, many people in non-tropical and subtropical areas in temperate parts of the world, like where we live, who also depend very significantly, and in some cases almost totally, uh, on the harvest of wildlife for food. And I think you should look at our system in North America as one of your examples. Now, fortunately, I was already working on the Wild Harvest Initiative, so bang, all of a sudden, I have this big program, I have this big body of data, and so forth. And now, one of the most amazing things that's happened is the Convention on Biodiversity, which is probably the most important convention we have in the world in conservation, has now taken the Wild Harvest Initiative and our database and the reports that we are developing from that as a knowledge platform for their use to help develop sustainable practices in other parts of the world. We can't just transfer it, Rob. Obviously, the circumstances are too different. But there are basic principles in there, like monitoring of populations, developing good inventories of what you actually have, and knowing how much you can, can harvest and so on, that can be taken from the North American approach. I mean, after all, we, we suffered the same problem, exactly, right? 120 mm. years ago, we were wiping wildlife out through Absolutely. unregulated harvest. Absolutely. It's not like we were always saints at yeah. this, eh? Hey. Uh, and, uh, and we learned. And now the world, in a much, much broader sense, uh, is trying at a global level to find a way for people to rely on natural foods without depleting them. Mm -hmm. And fortunately... This is an incredible opportunity to showcase the brilliance of the North American model of sustainable wildlife yeah. harvest. Well, those people back, uh, you know, at the, around the middle to the end of the 18th, or 1800s, you know, they thought that there was just an endless supply of, mm -hmm. of wildlife. And, uh, you know, when you look at the passing of, of the bison and, and you look at the passenger pigeon and, you know, I... I I just can't even imagine what Roosevelt and Grinnell and, and others were facing. It, it had to be a, a daunting uh, kind of thing because people were living off the land. Totally. It was market hunting. Totally. And, you know, you're talking about taking food off my table. Yeah. Yeah. And so. My livelihood. And now we look at it on a much bigger scope. Yeah. On a much bigger platform. And, you know, Shane, you talk about the North American model of, of wildlife conservation. <laughs> You know, the models received a lot of attention in the United States and Canada in 2019, both positive and negative. And 2019 also saw you publish the first book about the model and an edited volume with uh, Dr. Valerius Geist and, and John Hopkins University Press, uh, aptly titled The North American Model of Wildlife Conservation. How do you respond to the critics of the model? Well, like all, like all institutions, Rob, like all human beings, like all organizations, you know, nothing is ever c completely perfect. I mean, you know, <laughs> so first of all, I have to have an open mind and say, well, you know, obviously, uh, particularly as time moves on, there probably are, uh, uh, you know, changes that we might consider or slight modifications or other things we might add. But at the same time, I think there were some omissions in the model that uh, where I agree with the critics. And I'll give you one example of that. Um, we had, of course, on this continent, um, an enormous diversity of first peoples, of indigenous peoples here. Mm -hmm. 
And they had been hunting this continent somewhere between 15,000 and 30,000, depending on which dates we accept as the first arrival of human beings in, in Canada and the United States and North America and South America. And of course, as any culture that develops a dependency on wildlife and the natural world entirely, because that's all they had, they had generated enormous knowledge and expertise. Unfortunately, the way history went, and none of us are happy at some of the things that happened, obviously. We look back at it and we wonder how. But one of the great vacancies, and I've said this in the book, that I really believe is there, is that we did not, at the time when the model was being created, because these First Nations peoples were still vibrant and alive and you know, living in many cases that way, that we did not in manage to incorporate the tremendous knowledge that these people had. And I think there's still more that we could do in this regard today. So that's a criticism that I think is justified. I mean, it would have been very good if we had, you know, been wider ranging in our inclusion. Sure. But on the other hand, the idea that the model is in some way uh, deficient uh, because perhaps it doesn't appeal as much to non-hunters and uh, non-anglers as, as it does to hunters and anglers. Look, um, we have a model that rescued wildlife from an absolutely desperate circumstance. As I've said many times, if we'd had an Endangered Species Act, most of the species we think of today, like mule deer and white-tailed deer and you know, Canada geese and so on, would have been on the damn thing. Without any of that, these leaders, these people, they took something that was headed towards absolute Armageddon for wildlife and turned it around in such a way that today we have an incentivized significantly self-funding conservation system that has lasted a hundred years. Like that is not a small achievement by any standard anywhere in the world. Absolutely. And so to that element of the criticism, I say, look, it is true. There has been a heavy emphasis on the hunting and angling community, but the benefits have spread out to all wildlife and to all habitats and so on and so forth. And we have made strides over time since the 1960s to bring in small game program or non-game programs. Rob, you know this, and yes. for non-hunted species and so on and so forth. We've been developing stronger legislation for endangered and threatened species. All that took place within the context of the model. Yeah. So I don't accept some of those kinds of criticisms of the model. Well, that'll take us to our next break. Folks, you're listening to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World, and you've got Shane Mahoney and Rob Keck right here with a lot more coming right up. Today's hunters are facing some real challenges. Nationally, we lose 6,000 acres of upland habitat every day. Hunter numbers are not keeping pace with population growth. Each of these puts our hunting lifestyle in danger. With your help, the National Wild Turkey Federation is tackling these challenges head-on with its Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative. Our volunteers have committed to increase wild turkey populations and protect our hunting heritage by improving 4 million acres of habitat, creating 1.5 million new hunters and opening half a million new acres to public hunting. Join the NWTF today to help make these bold goals a reality. Visit nwtf.org for more information and to find out how you can help protect our way of life. Back to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World on Rural Radio, Sirius XM. And welcome back to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World, and we're having a lively discussion, a, a deep discussion on the North American model, the Wild Harvest Initiative, and we have the president of Conservation Visions and the founder of the Wild Harvest Initiative, Shane Mahoney. Shane, as we look at, at the model, there's probably a lot of people out there that don't even know what the heck we're talking about. Mm -hmm. you know, we've got listeners out there. I mean, we've, we use it in our vernacular daily, mm -hmm. but we've got others out there. C can you give me just uh, the, the shortest description so that the average person out there that maybe doesn't even hunt knows what we're talking about. Yeah, I can. I mean, the North American model is a term that refers to the system of institutions, policies, and laws that were developed in the early 20th century to bring about a rescue and recovery of wildlife in Canada and the United States, and that has been maintained as a functioning uh, system 
for now 100 years. Wow. That it, and, and that was born out of a time of wildlife crisis, as we said. And so it's not just the state agencies, but it is the state agencies. It's not just the federal agencies, but it is the federal agencies. It's, uh, it's the funding mechanisms. It's the scientists who work. It's, it's a name that tries to take all of those things and put them together and make people realize that together they are a unique approach to the conservation of wildlife. And it was born fundamentally in the United States and adopted by Canada. Looking back at, uh, at the discussion there in the previous uh, segment about, you know, what Roosevelt and Grinnell and others were faced with, with this crisis of, of dwindling populations just literally gone off the face of the earth, you know, I think about the, the Head and Horns exhibit, and I think about, you know, what they put together to, to put in one location uh, the representatives of each one of those species that were there thinking that future generations would never even know what they look like. Absolutely. To go from, from that line of thinking to where we are today, uh, wow. You know, it is amazing. It's an amazing it, story. It, it really is. And, you know, given the thoughts here in the discussion of North American model, uh, you know, what are your thoughts generally on sustainable use in the North American model today? Well, first of all, it's still an incredibly vibrant activity in, in North America, in Canada, in the United States today. I mean, this is still a highly participatory activity between hunting and angling. You know, 40 to 45 million people each year engage in those activities. It generates an absolutely enormous, I mean, just almost unfathomable uh, size of an economy that benefits, you know, people right across both countries uh, and disproportionately to some extent in people living in rural places where, you know, it's, place, it's, it's much more difficult to build economies and to bring benefits. Um, it is, um, so it is still incredibly vital despite the criticisms that one hears. Now, I think going forward, there is a, and this has been a, an old opinion of mine, as you know, Rob, I mean, I think going forward, we have to be ever more careful about how we represent ourselves, mm -hmm. uh, you know, how we represent our successes, our willingness to amend our practices where necessary. Look, we're getting so killed so. on social media and out there, television, the images, the video clips that are up there. Yeah. So many of them just doing us great harm, and they're used against us. They are. And, you know, there's really no need. I mean, in the sense that, you know, of course people may want to have a photo of, of, of their day of field. And there's sure. nothing wrong with that. Absolutely. And to share it with, with family and friends or whatever. But it's but – it's, it's, so, so it's, it's how you share it is one thing. But it's also what you share. I mean, in some cases in the harvest of wildlife, you know, th things happen in a way where at the end of the event the animal – you know, looks beautiful and, 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 and wholesome, and it's possible to project a wonderful image. In other cases, of course, the animal does not necessarily look that way. And to share images where, where animals are shown in a poor light, and, you know, the, the animal is there dead and crumpled, and the happy hunter is behind there. I mean, after all, we have to, we have to understand that for people who have never been involved in these kinds of activities, Rob, that's a hard image to take in. It is. Right? And they're not just being critical of us because, you know, they want to be nasty people. Some people are ideologically opposed. They have come to the position in their lives, they, they won't tolerate it, they're not going to listen to facts and figures. But there's a lot of people out there just trying to make up their minds. Is this a good thing? Is this a good thing for my son and daughter to engage in? And who are they going to look to to try to figure out whether it is a good thing? They're going to look to us. So, you know... And more and more, we're under scrutiny. And that means that we just have to be better and better and better at always putting the animal first and always talking about the conservation benefits and the community benefits that derive from this activity and the wild food benefits and things of this nature. That doesn't mean we stop saying we enjoy hunting. Of course, we have many motivations for Absolutely. hunting. But we can lead with those kinds of things and represent them. And they're true. They're not, they're not, we're not making it up. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. So, I mean, I think the future, you know, are we going to get back to when we had, you know, I mean, uh, 10 or 12 or, or I mean, 20 or 30% of the people hunting in Canada and the United States? Uh, maybe not. Uh, but that doesn't mean we can't maintain for the foreseeable long-term future a viable 
a community of people who are interested in participating in those activities. I think that is totally possible in Canada and the United States and elsewhere in the world. And if we build these alliances with the berry pickers and the mushroom harvesters and the firewood harvesters and the medicinal plant harvesters and all of these other people and have them realize that those habitats that they rely on are often managed and help, and the management is often funded in part by the activities of hunters and anglers. I think we have a, a chance to even strengthen this. Remember, there are there are people who have never hunted and fished. It was not part of their culture or their upbringing who are now engaging because of this food relationship. Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook is yeah. a prime example a- of this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I still am encouraged by the fact that uh, – We've got a high percentage of the U.S. population that still respects and supports ethical, responsible uh, hunting. Trophy hunting, not so much. Yep. But uh, I, I think that, you know, we've, we've got a good base to work from. I mean, the sky is not necessarily falling apart. Not at all, Rob. I mean, I think, you know, <clears throat> one has to bring forward the criticisms to try to get us to be the best we can be. I mean, that's part of what I have done throughout my career. Not everyone likes that. I understand that. But it's done to try to make us the best that we can possibly be. And you're absolutely right. The phenomenal statistic is not that 10 or 15% of the public are opposed to hunting. I find that so easy to understand, you see. The really phenomenal statistic is that 80% of the public, even today in urbanized America and Canada, still survey after survey after survey will indicate exactly what you just said, that 80% of the people will support this activity if it's done legally and sustainably and appropriately and so on. Uh, and and that's what will save us, and that's what we have to protect. Yeah, and that takes us to our final break of the show. And you're listening to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. We will be right back. You know it takes the right habitat to conserve and grow healthy wildlife populations. At Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, we're committed to helping landowners voluntarily protect land and wildlife habitat forever. Benefits here go beyond protecting habitat for upland birds and wildlife. Native grasslands protect soil, provide valuable resources for the ranching community, and serve as a natural filter to enhance water quality for all. We need your help to protect America's grasslands for future generations. Creating and leaving a legacy is within your reach. At Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, we're here to help you make a difference. Healthy habitat and abundant wildlife. Build it today to last forever. To learn more about how you can help us protect America's uplands, please visit us at pheasantsforever.org slash legacy. Back to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World on Rural Radio, Sirius XM. And welcome back to our final segment of Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. And we have with us, have had throughout the entire show, the president of Conservation Visions and the founder of the Wild Harvest Initiative, Shane Patrick Mahoney. Shane, well, we've covered a lot of ground here, and you certainly sound hopeful for the future. What can we do to ensure the future of hunting and what we love so much in this world. What do you say? Well, I mean, I think that uh, the, the future is in our hands. I mean, uh, what really what we have to do is to make sure that as individual hunters and anglers and people who are spending time in the outdoors, that we represent our own activities uh, consistently in the best possible way. The only way conservation will work and the only way that we will safeguard the future of hunting and angling is if the broader society sees, first of all, conservation as important, and we have a a desperate role to play in that by making them aware that it is important. By we, I mean hunters and anglers. And they also have to believe that when hunters and anglers talk about conservation as being one of their motivations, the public has to believe that that's true. 
they cannot have in the back of their minds, oh, those individuals are only saying that because really what they're interested in is just maintaining hunting and angling. I don't think it's difficult for the broad public to be honest with us and say, okay, if you want to maintain hunting and angling, that's good. I don't really do it. I don't really participate. But if they then believe that by doing it, we truly are contributing to conservation, which we are, then I think we will maintain that support in the general public. You know, you do not have to have everybody participate in something to maintain the support and the evidence for so long has indicated that this is actually true in North America, despite uh, not everyone participating. There's this huge support for, for what we do. I think, too, that the more we can show the individual story of hunters and anglers, Rob, and this is what I'm trying to get at with this shearing index, you know, to, for people to understand a Rob Keck, for example, see him come back, you know, and he's harvested his white-tailed deer, or he's harvested his turkeys, or whatever it might be, and to see him in the act of preparing that food at home, to see him in the act of going across the street to his neighbor and giving a, a meal, to see grandchildren carrying, you know, portions of the harvested animal that, that their dad harvested to bring it to their grandfather and their grandmother. I mean, these are the kinds of images that have to replace the broad media outreach that's out there now in the magazines and the television shows and so on and so forth. And I'll tell you something. I mean, America is an incredibly giving nation. It is one of the most philanthropic nations in the world, if not the most philanthropic nation in the world, bar none. And therefore, this whole idea of sharing and caring for one another and, and safeguarding the natural world and maintaining beauty and, and having, yes, national parks as well as hunting spaces and so on and so forth. I mean, I think if we were to tell that story in the appropriate way and also dig up all the evidence and information about all the benefits that have come from our activities over this long, long period of history, I think we have the compelling story and the examples of decency that will allow us to maintain this tradition and this activity and this conservation model into the future for a very long period of time. Shane, so well said. Thanks for your vision. Thanks for your conservation leadership. The respect that you have gathered around the world to, to move the Wild Harvest Initiative forward, uh, it's taken more than vision. We've got people in this world that have vision, but they don't have the drive to make that vision become reality. Thanks for all that you do. Thanks uh, for so much. Congratulations on all that you've done for the protection of our hunting and our angling heritage. I certainly look forward to being with you again uh, in so many different capacities. And, folks, that's going to wrap it up here once again on Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. I'm Rob Keck. On behalf of Bass Pro Shops, where your adventure always starts right here. Thanks for answering the call, that call to conservation and preserving our rich hunting, fishing, and trapping heritage. We'll see you next week. This has been Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World, talking all things outdoors, brought to you by Bass Pro Shops, your outdoor leader. Join us next Saturday and every Saturday for more special guests and unique locations.